Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org. And don't forget to subscribe. Uh, So welcome, folks. Um, I'm hoping technology works with me with this service, and I'm sure it is going to. And so I'm going to share a story that I really love sharing. So I think it was in a book I read last year called Upstream. Now, I'm not sure if you're a picnic person or a bride person, and if none of those things appeal to you, then hopefully you're a walking romantic kind of person where you're walking, right? So either one of those, you're picnicking or you're walking next to a river with a friend or your partner, and while you're walking there with your friend, you're chatting, you notice a child is drowning in the river. So instinctively, you jump in the river, you swim to that child, you bring the child to the banks of the river, you save the child, You've just got this child saved, and you notice there's another child in the river, so both of you jump in, you swim to that child. But as you swim into that child, you notice another child, and another child, and another child, and you trying to save these child, children, but your friend starts swimming away, starts swimming upstream, and you shout to your friend, where are you going? We've got all these kids to save. And your friend shouts, I'm going upstream to see why the children are falling in the river in the first place. I'm going to go upstream. I'm going to put up a barrier. I'm going to put up signs that it's dangerous to fall in the river. And so that is the the metaphor for this series around swimming upstream to prevent downstream problems. And I know that, Sai, you are tired of having marriage counseling uh, because that is a downstream problem because we didn't adhere to upstream solutions. We are tired of indebted people because it was upstream problems that now people are indebted. And so this sermon series, we're going to be unpacking how do we stop falling in the stream in the first place. And I said to say, I think this could be a part two next year and the year after around putting barriers. Maybe we even build a bridge over the river so that we don't have the downstream problems that we have in society. And so we're going to be honoring the word. We're going to be speaking about honoring community. We're going to be speaking about honoring leadership and institutions. Now, I'm glad I'm not preaching on honoring institutions or leadership or community. I'm glad I got the word. So I'm, I'm going to come to those other services to see how we do that. So I'm super excited about that. But today I'm speaking about honoring the word. An absolute in a time of my truth. We live in a time where everything is relative. Everything is gray. There are no absolutes of right and wrong. And so we always need to be uh, prioritized by political correctness when we walk into certain places. And so how do we live in this world of my truth when we live by something that is absolute? So I've got some good news and bad news for some people. If you believe and you live in this my truth world, then this is going to be bad news. But if you live in a world where there is absolutes and you believe the word of God, then I want you to say that this will be good news. That there is no anguibuity. Is that the right word in the word of God, right? There is no gray in the word of God. It's black and white and occasionally there's a little bit of red writing depending on this version you have. It is an absolute. Everything rises to the standard in God's word. Our constitution is subject to God's word. The way I run my business is subject to God's word. The way I lead my family, subject to God's word. The way I show up is subject to God's word. In the past, present, and future, this thing is not changing. It is going to stay the same forever and ever. And so I want you to be aware of that. 
And throughout Scripture, people would ask Jesus about the Scriptures. We would hear the New Testament people saying, when I think about the Word, I think it's a light unto my feet. I want you to think for a moment. When you think of the Bible, what are the words that come to your mind? In my mind, the Bible is um, my counsel when I'm struggling through something. My word, um, for me, the Word of God is that when I need to make a big decision, I come to the Word of God. When I'm feeling stressed, I come to the Word of God. When I'm feeling like I need to be strengthened, I said that, I come to the Word of God. What is it for you? If you had to give the Word a one name, if you're online right now, get your thumbs going and put in the chat box, what is the Word of God for you? In the auditorium, don't you want to just shout out some ideas for me? Last in the next earlier service, we had some interesting. Do you want to shout out? What is the Word? Yes, shout nice loud, volume 45. My life manual, absolutely. I saw another hand over there. Sorry? My compass when I'm lost, absolutely. This side of the church is rocking. Middle, yes, ma'am. My wisdom, absolutely. Great, yes, ma'am. My GPS, hey, yeah, you know a GPS, hey? When I'm not sure my coordinates, it gives me my GPS. In the last sermon, somebody said a hammer. Now, I hope they're not doing ha- home repairs with it, but um, a hammer, right? And I was like, yeah, that's a, it's a hefty tool to be there. And so if we are to ask the writer of Hebrews, what is the Word of God? The writer of Hebrews would say that the Word of God is a living, evident, uh, effective, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as separating the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and interactions of our intentions of our hearts. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Father, we thank you that we can base our lives, our leadership, our love on this word, Lord Father God. Won't you speak to us through your word this morning? Won't you refresh a love for the scripture this morning? Father, we thank you that you're with us this morning in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? And so we need to recognize that this word is like a, like a, a surgeon knife that can cut deep into us, open up our hearts, and reveal the trueness of who we are and who we're not. This word, I don't know, Sai and, and, and Tony, when you've preached afterwards, people come to you and say, I'm, I'm so thankful that you were able to bring the word alive to me. I don't know if you've ever heard anybody say that to you. You've brought the word alive to us. The truth is, is that it's not us that brings the word alive. This living word brings us alive. It is life to us. And so we're not bringing any life to this, I promise you. As I delve into the word of God, it begins to speak life to me. And I'm hoping that it does the same for you, that this word will speak life uh, to you. And so let's say, but um, I don't know, anybody was at Every Nation, his people back in the 90s, 95, 96, 97, in the Baxter Theater in Cape Town. I don't know if any of you are there. You were there? Okay, great. And I don't know if there's anybody online with it. But can you remember in those days, you would bring your old school Bible. You wouldn't come with technology, right? And it would come in a bag. Yeah? You would come to church with a bag like that. Hey, some old school people in this church, right? And people would say, and then we would start like this. We'd say, uh, I love my Bible. And everyone would say, I love my Bible. And my Bible loves me. And we say, oh, we love our Bible. And we would do this as a mantra, as a way of saying, it just feels weird to say, I love my Bible. with It doesn't feel the same. Right? And um, so some of you can really do that with all your heart. I love my Bible. My Bible loves me. But there are some of us that don't feel that way. There are some of us that can't say that with conviction. And we are saying that we, we don't really believe that this word of God is reliable and trustworthy. And one of the reasons we say it's been written by humans, 
We realize how messed up humans are. And so if it was written by humans, how can I trust it? Right? Plus, can you imagine you're Moses writing the first five books of the, Testament, of the Old Testament, and when you woke up that morning, you had a little bit of a disagreement. He had a disagreement with his wife that morning. Can you imagine how that might affect his writings of how husbands should treat their wives? You know, um, you know it would be a little bit suspect around, ah, these women today, let me put it here in the Word of God, how men should treat their women. Or think about Paul writing books of the New Testament. Maybe he had a racial interaction with somebody that morning. It was a negative kind of vibe. Wouldn't that affect the way he spoke about how we should deal with others? I know for me, when I do a tweet or do an update somewhere, like if I'm feeling a little bit tender, it's going to come through in that, right? And so some people say, how can I trust God's word like this? So let me put it like this. How many of you this morning, when you came to church, and I'm making the assumption that the vast majority of us came to church this morning in the calm, did you say, Tony, to your family, you know, humans made this car. We're not sure if it's going to get us to church. So just be careful. I don't know if this car is trustworthy and reliable. Maybe the steering wheel will come off as we come in, right? Somehow we got into our car, even though it was made by humans and we trusted it. You came into church and you sat on the chair. You didn't say, ooh, humans made this and they're faulty. So would this chair be faulty? Like, am I going to be careful with that? And if you're sitting at home drinking out of your mug, are you worried your mug is going to... No. And so if we judge, if we trust our cars... Hello, how are you, sweetie? Right? If we trust our cars... If we trust our chairs, why don't we judge God's word the same way? Why don't we say that even if humans wrote it, it's fine. And what we're saying, we are not saying that God's word was written just by humans. It's in partnership with God. And so if this word was written in partnership with God, how much more should we trust it? And so this is a reliable way of saying that we can trust God's word. The second thing we say is, um, isn't this book... Just a whole bunch of fairy tales. You know, good stories that we can use for moral uh, things. Because, you know, not all the things in the Bible are relevant today. Can't we? And how do we know that it's, it's not just fairy tales, right? Um, that's a fair question. And so if we look at historical accounts of the Bible, uh, there are so many archaeological uh, findings that say that this Bible is true. Over 25,000 handwritten copies of the New Testament by non-believers has been written. We've got the Dead Sea Scrolls. We've got a number of things that reinforce the fact that the Bible is true. It's not made up. And the other interesting thing is from, Revelation, from Genesis to Revelation, every story is connected. And if they were just random stories that we pulled together, we wouldn't be able to see that connectedness between those stories. And so the Bible is trustworthy and reliable because it's a historical account of what really happened. Another thing people will say, um, will say is, if only God could come down from heaven, come onto earth, and show me himself that this word is his, then I would believe it. Maybe some people are saying that, right? This is interesting for me, right? Will God tell me, then I'll believe it, that it's trustworthy and reliable. It's interesting that we have an account of the disciples. And so the disciples, uh, 2 Peter 1, 1, 16 and 17, for we do not follow cleverly designed myths that we were made known the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received an honor and glory from God, the Father, the voice bore to him by his majesty glory. Uh, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. 
we ourselves heard the very voice, voice bore from heaven. And we heard and we were with him on the mountain. And we have this prophetic word more fully confirmed. So eyewitnesses on the mountain of transfiguration, Jesus starts shining like a bright light. Elisha comes onto the mountain. God's audible voice is with Peter on the mountain. Yet he still says scripture is far more important that says to me that Jesus came onto this earth. Now this is something interesting, right? That even eyewitnesses say that God's word is far more important than actually being an eyewitness or hearing God's audible voice that this Bible is true and real. So, let's take it like this. Um, there are over 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. Now, there are some clever people out there uh, that have done some research, and they said that if you take only eight of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, it would be equivalent to me taking this coin, marking an X on this coin, then filling the whole of South Africa with two feet of these coins, and then marking an X here, throwing this coin into the middle of wherever that is, then blindfolding somebody and asking that person to go into that two feet of coins throughout South Africa on their first choice to pick up this coin with the X on that. That is insane. And that is only fulfilling eight of the 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in the, in the, in the, in the Bible. And so isn't that amazing that God fulfills every prophecy? All 300 are fulfilled in this word. And so this word is trustworthy and reliable. And so Billy Graham, and I'm realizing I'm getting old because not everybody knows who Billy Graham is, right? Billy Graham was one of the world's most prolific evangelists. And in 1949, while he was evangelizing, he had an argument with God. He's like, Lord, I'm struggling to say that your word is reliable and true, yet I'm preaching it. And so in the park, uh, one night, he's walking in the park and he's having this conversation with God saying, how do I preach the word if I don't believe it's reliable? And so maybe this prayer that Billy Graham prayed in 1949 is your prayer today, saying, Lord, I don't understand it. Like, I, I'm struggling with your word. Maybe you need to be like Billy Graham. that says, Father, I'm going to accept thy word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to move beyond my intellectual questions and doubts, and I'm going to believe this word to be inspired by God. Maybe that's a prayer for somebody in this room today to say, despite all of that, I'm going to believe God's word to be true. Okay. So the Bible is trustworthy and reliable. Once we're on that, then me and you, we can rumble. We can rumble about how we interpret it. We can rumble about a whole bunch of things. But until we don't believe, until we're not on this page, we've got another kind of rumble to do. But once we're on this page, then we can begin to rumble around how we interpret the word and how we engage with the word with one another. So we have the right view of the Bible, but I think sometimes we have the wrong use of the Bible. I don't know how many of you have ever sat in your lounge, you're looking at the Word, it's looking at you, you're like, me and you, ah, you know, it's convicting you like you should be reading it, and it's got, it, at the moment, the use is just to collect dust, um, we're afraid to open it, or we, nowadays in this modern day of uh, Zoom calls, my Bible has been used as the elevator for my computer so I can look into the screen. I see people are doing this. I'm not sure if that's an amen or like, oh, the pastor see my house, right? Or another use 
is decorative, you know? You know you're on a prayer with Pastor Sai. Hey, you change the books behind you based on who's on the Zoom call. So you put the Bible there for the pastor, and when you're with a work call, you put the other one there. Like, you know, we use it for decorative purposes. And so I want to talk about, so we have the right view of the Bible. What is the right use of the Bible? And so I want to talk about food for a moment. So first of all, I think we are spiritually malnourished. Some of us, not all of us. Some of us, our only interaction with the Word of God is on a Sunday. We come in here, yeah, we're hungry for the Word of God because we haven't used it the whole week. It's been holding up my computer, right? And so when I come here, when the pastor speaks, he's giving me my spiritual, my small nyana little what what, you know? So I can go for the rest of the week. I'm telling you, if that's you, you are spiritually malnourished, you are unhealthy. You need to become healthy in the Word of God. Now, you're better off than some other people that only come to church, you know, for weddings and funerals. That's when they get the Word of God. And so those are severely malnourished, right? And so if you're one of those people that only engage with the Word of God on a Sunday, I'm encouraging you to up your game to become a little more healthy, spiritual. Now, some people say, yeah, preach it. I've got something for you too. Don't worry, we're coming for you. We've got what we call spiritual carbo-loading. Now, Tony, I'm not a runner, and I know that it's against my rules to run. But I know before you do the comrades, I don't know, you, you carbo-load, right? And you eat pasta, and that pasta or that potatoes is when you see that hill, it somehow puts an injection, and you start running up the hill like great, right? I think some of us are spiritually carbo-loading. Yo, I have a meeting on Wednesday. It's an important meeting. Me, I better read 20 chapters of my Bible this week. So when I go into that meeting, your course is walking in there with me. Jesus is going before me. And I'm going to read the right kind of scriptures so that when they hit, things get tough, hey, God's word will kick in for me, right? And so we carbo loading for success. We're reading the Bible. Yo, I've got Connect Group, and they're going to ask me the five Fs, and one of them is Father, and I better tick the box, even if it's the night before, just one chapter. You know why we have broken Christians and disappointed Christians? Is because that's the only reason why. We read it to get God on my side. And then when we go into that meeting and the meeting falls apart, hey, this word of God is nonsense. This God that I serve is not coming through. It's because we're doing it for success. We're doing it for all the wrong reasons, right? Right. Then we've got what we call fast food Christians. Now, I wanted to skip this slide for myself because it's a little bit, um, you know, too close to home for me, Right? It's the daily bread. I wake up in the morning, I go to my notification, it's got one scripture, you know, just a short little 30 second, hey, got my shoot for the day, and I go for the day, and I call on that little scripture for the whole day. Come home, I might remind myself of that notification. And my whole work, walk of life is this fast food scriptures, little nana, the little things here, I live devotions, I read a small scriptural devotion, and then I do that other piece. And I'm not getting the fullness of God. I don't know how many of you ever watched that uh, documentary, Super Size Me, where that guy ate um, uh, fast food for the whole month or two months or something. He became really unhealthy. I think we have really unhealthy Christians that are fast food Christians, that are just living off these small little things. And we are, we are not healthy people. We are not healthy. We're not balanced in the way we engage in. And so we need to think about how we change our fast food life and think about it, right? Hey, some people are saying, hey, I've got through that. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. One more for you, right? Right. We got picky eaters. Now, I know when I was young, there was no such thing as picky eaters. Tony, 
There was no such thing, I don't eat this, I don't eat that. We ate everything because the hammer of my parents would come down on me, right, and say, we judge you, eat everything. You, nowadays kids, they have rights. Me, I don't eat tomatoes, I don't eat the seeds in the cucumber, and we've got parents picking out the seeds of the cucumber, um, and then I, I saw tiam. Now, I must be careful when I say this, I don't have tiams in the auditorium. We even have those vegetarians and vegans now, we're doing all these kind of things here, and what has happened is that kind of culture, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with vegans and vegetarians, we love you, you, you will, I think you'll make it into heaven, we need to <laughs> still debate that, right? But that kind of thinking has infiltrated the way we engage with God's Word because we've become fussy eaters of the Word of God. We've got, uh, uh, you know, vegetarians, so we've got New, New Testamentarians. I only read the New Testament, right? And then we've got one level higher than that. Me, I only read the red words in the Bible. I only read Jesus' words. And occasionally I'll dip into Psalms because they, they make me feel nice about myself, right? And so we, these picky eaters are saying, I can't, find the, I can't read this because it's out of date with my truth. Because it's like, it's in counter with what's happening now. Like the Bible was written, it's not contextual for where we are. We think that that kind of argument is new, but it's not. In 1776, a French philosopher, Voltaire, made this comment. He wrote it. He said, A hundred years from today that I write this down, this book, the Bible, will become irrelevant. In fact, it will go extinct. You will not be able to find the Bible on the planet. Voltaire died. Fifty years to him writing that, his house became a printing press for the Bible. The Bible Society started doing that, right? And so we think that uh, this new thinking that the Bible's not in touch with us is a new thing. It's been around for a long time. Saying to Tamsin, as I was preparing for this, um, I was reading an article that came up in my research that said, Christians are okay. It's the Word of God that's a problem. And so if you go into a meeting, if you're engaging with people, people are happy for you to be a Christian as long as you don't align your life with the Word of God. The Word of God is a stumbling block for people. It's a stumbling block for the rich. It's a stumbling block for the poor. It's a stumbling block for the shy. It's a stumbling block for the bold. This thing is offensive to everyone. It challenges everyone. There's nobody, when I think about it, that is not challenged by the Word of God. And so people will say, how can I trust this if experts say, if trendsetters say, how can we not trust it? I love what Paul says in the Galatians 1, 8 and 9 in the message translation. I love it. Let me be blunt. If any, if any one of us ever, even an angel from heaven, were to preach something other than what is preached originally, let him be cursed. I'll say it again. If anyone, regardless of their reputation, credentials, preaches something other than you received originally, let him be cursed. When he's saying that, he's saying that everyone and everything is subject to the whole word of God, not pieces of it. And even Jesus himself was subject to the word of God. Think about it. The Garden of Gethsemane, he's surrounded by soldiers. They come to arrest him. Peter, his disciple, pulls out a sword, chops the guy's ear off. He's going to war for the Lord. What does Jesus say? I could call down a legion of angels to save me. But if I did that, how would the word be fulfilled? Jesus was subject to the word of God. And so if Jesus' angels are subject to the word of God, who are me and you 
not to be subject to the word of God and say, how do I subject my life to this, right? And so as Christians, we need to have healthy diets of this word, healthy pieces of Old Testament, healthy pieces of New Testament. We need to delve deep into the word and, and become hungry for this word of God. And so how are you consuming this word? Which one are you? I'm hoping that you have a balanced meal of this word. And that's why I loved the Isaiah series that we went and allowed us to go deep into the word of God. And so I want to encourage you, go deep into the word of God and not those little snippets that we're doing. Uh, Jeremiah 15, 16, I love this scripture. I'm going to maybe make a poster out of it somewhere. Your words were found and I ate them and they became a joy and a delight to my heart. Is God's word a joy and a delight to your heart. And so in his book, Heavenly Man, Brother Yun tells the story of a young man that found, became a Christian, and he learned about the Bible. And so he wanted to get a Bible. And so he, he, he asked his parents, and they said, we know of somebody else in the next village that became a Christian. Let's visit them. And so they went to visit this person. And while they're visiting this person, this old person said, this old man said, you need to uh, pray to God for a Bible. So they come home, and this young man, he prays, prays for a month. Probably prayed, I would have prayed for probably two, three days. It's like, ah, God, you obviously don't want me to get your word. He prayed for a month. After a month, still no word of God. So he goes back to the old man, says to the old man, I still don't, I've been praying for a month, still no word of God. The old man says, I think you need to fast and pray. Fast and pray for the word of God. Young man goes back to his community and he fasts and prays for over a hundred days. Now, I say, I know in January, we say 20 days, right? Hey, 20 days, people after three days, Woo! pastor, are you sure we should be doing fast for 20 days, right? This young man was fasting for a hundred days. Still no Bible. One night, a dream, a vision, he sees two people come to his door, knock on the door, and they give him a Bible. He wakes up from this vision, from this dream. At four o'clock in the morning, he's now looking in the house for this Bible. He's, he wakes his parents up. He's, hey, this young man became a nuisance to his parents. Hey, this new conversion. He's on fire for the Lord. He's looking for the Bible. They can't find it. While they're looking for the Bible at four o'clock in the morning, there's a knock at the door. They open the door. The very two people he saw in his dream and vision were standing at the door with a parcel. They give him the parcel. They leave. He unravels the parcel. And there is the word of God. And he holds the God's word and he starts to cry. And he says these words, From that moment on, I would devour this word like a hungry child. Are you devouring God's word every day like a hungry child? Or is it that they oh, I'm not going to go to it. So I encourage you this morning, will you not devour God's word like a hungry child? So we need to be... We need, to be, we need to have the right view of the Bible, the right use of the Bible. And then the question is, how do you read your Bible? Now, I know how I read the Bible. I open it up in my little garden, you know, my connect group. I've got my little garden there. I open it up, got my water, got my stuff there. And this is how I read the Bible. Me, 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 mine, me, 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 me. And it's focused on how I show up in this Bible. But we should be reading the Bible like this. Jesus, 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 Jesus. From from I said the mistake again, right? From Genesis to Revelation, this book points 
to Jesus. So take the story of Joseph. And I'm guilty of this too. So we read the book of of Joseph. We even preach like this sometimes, right? We take the book of Joseph and he's sold. His brothers sell him and throw him in the pit. And we say, yeah, you know, he's sold to the pit. My, My family have turned against me. I see you, Joseph. I'm with you. Then Joseph goes to his employer and he gets double crossed by his brother. Yeah, Joseph, I'm with you. My employer is also evil. Yeah, I'm with you. Then he goes to jail and his friends in jail forgive him. He says, Yeah, Joseph, I'm with you. Those people also forgot about me. And then when I become president or the second to Pharaoh in my company, then, you know, oh, I can't do that, Joseph. You mean I must forgive my brothers? I must help? Like, that's when God's word becomes difficult. Why? Because we put ourselves in the center of the story. And when we read this, we should be reading it from a different perspective. And so I love John 5, 39. You have poured over the scriptures because you think they bring eternal life, yet they testify about me. When we read the scriptures, it's John the Baptist. The scriptures are equal to John the Baptist that points to Jesus. When people came to John the Baptist and said, are you the one? They said, no, I only point to the one. And so our scriptures, when we read this, it's about pointing to the one. The, from, from Genesis to Revelation, it's pointing to Jesus. We should be seeing Jesus in every time we read this word of God. It is pointing to Jesus. When you read the word, is Jesus being revealed to you? We should read the Bible for transformation, not information. And so the Pharisees read the Bible for information, not transformation. And so that when Jesus showed up, they couldn't see him. Why? Because they were so full of their own information. They were blinded by that information, and they missed the Messiah right there. Rick Joyner wrote the book, The Quest. I don't know if you've ever read that book. But um, in that book, people are getting onto the mountain, and it's all a, uh, a wonderful vision. But there were Christians that had the armor of God on it, and it was beautiful, it was shiny, And these very Christians that had the shiny armor that was supposed to help people onto the mountain and defend off the evil one started killing Christians in the process. And the reason why is because their armor was so bright they couldn't see beyond their own armor and they needed to take a coat and put it over the shiny armor to dull the shininess of it so that they could see what was happening on the battlefield. And I think many of us, when we read the Bible for information, it makes us become arrogant. It makes us become self-righteous. And we then begin to take out a whole bunch of people that we shouldn't. And so when we read the Bible, we should be reading for transformation, right? And transforming our lives so that we can be effective in the world that we find ourselves in. And so we need to repent. We need to repent around how we engage with God's Word. And so we need to say no to reading for information. We need to say no to being picky eaters of the Word of God. We need to say no to fast food devotions. We need to say no to spiritual uh, carbo-loading. And we need to start saying no to me-focused reading Bibles. We need to start confessing that we're doing it all wrong. We start need to say yes, that the right view, right view, um, right view, right use of the Bible. We need to say that yes, the Bible is trustworthy and reliable. We need to say yes, we are subjecting our lives to this word. You cannot be a Christian today if you do not adhere and subject yourself to the word of God. And I think far too many of us say we're Christians, but we can't believe in this. 
And I'm telling you now, that's like oil and water. The two don't mix. You have to subject yourself to the whole Word of God. And then you can call yourself a Christian. Because as long as we call ourselves Christians and not subjecting ourselves to this, we're going to continually find marriages downstream. We're going to continually find people living broken lives because we haven't subjected ourselves to the full Word of God. And we have to say yes to Jesus. We have to say yes to Jesus. Father, we want to thank you that your word is yea and amen. We want to thank you, Lord, that you speak to us through your word. That your word facilitates those moments of intimacy. Father God, your word facilitates the working of your Holy Spirit. Father, your word cuts deeper than any other sword. Opens up my heart and sees truly who I am. And so, Father, we thank you for your word. And so, Father, this morning, people have come together, both online and in person. There's a challenge for each and every one of us. There's a challenge for us that are spiritually malnourished and that are just not engaging in your word. There's a challenge for some of us that are carboloading, that are reading your word just for success and it's the completely wrong motive. There are some of us that are reading your word and it's just those small snippets and we need so much more of you. And some of us are reading the Bible and putting us as the center, not you. As a father, as a, as a community, we repent. And we say, Father, give us a fresh idea of how to use your word and engage with your word. And so this morning, if you're one of those people that feel that you're far from God, that you've engaged with this word and you can't find it to be trustworthy, but you know that there's something inside of you. Either you've, you've slipped away and you need a new, freshing, like a fresh helping of God. Don't you want to put your hand up so we can pray with you? That we can uh, go on this journey with you. If you're online, there's a number I'm sure that you can call and somebody from the church will reach out to you. The number of you at home, maybe I know it sounds weird, you're sitting with your family, kids are watching you, and you might feel embarrassed, but put your hand up. We'll pray for you. So anybody else in this auditorium, I see that hand. Now put your hand up. See that hand. Thank you. Father, you're doing a fresh work in people's hearts, Lord Father God. We thank you, Lord, that you're doing an incredible thing. Won't you stand with me as we start to bring our service to an end? So Father, as people are standing... People are considering about how they engage with your word, how they engage with you. Father, won't you give them the boldness to take one more step in this process? If you put your hand up and you want me or Pastor Sai or somebody from the church to pray with you, can I ask you to come forward and we will be praying with you. Uh, please come forward if you want to renew your life, if you want to give your life to Jesus this, after this morning. Don't you want to come forward and we'll pray with you and we'll take you on this journey. If you're online and you've, you've made a commitment, put it in the chat. There's a WhatsApp number. Somebody from the church will be in contact with you. And so while I'm talking to the online folk, if you want to make your way forward, I see you. Well done. Come. Thank you very much. Praise the Lord. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. If you didn't put your hand up and you're feeling that you need to come, come down. We'll pray with you. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.